0: Someone has programmed, with ChatGPT's help, to program these bots to actually talk. But this person Mm -hmm. has very carefully made these robots, which actually are not that expensive. Jessa,
1: I am so excited to have you on the Imagine AI podcast because you are the voice of the Imagine AI Live conference
0: this, I am. I yeah. am the voice of Imagine AI Live, and I'm using my Imagine AI voice <laughs> right now. Oh yeah, and it's beautiful. I'm hoping though. it's yeah. buttery smooth. That's what I'm hoping.
1: <laughs> it's very, it's very smooth. Yeah, I've I've watched some of your YouTube channels, and I'm like, this voice sounds like it it could be AI. Is this AI? Oh like? no,
0: yeah, <gasps> no, don't say that, please. <laughs> so I have a little story to tell you about that, Chris. So, please. um. First of all, I'm not an AI. I am real. I have been on YouTube for 11 years this year. I have had numerous channels on YouTube where I've tried different things. And this channel, I versus AI, I really love. But I was completely unprepared for the number of people that thought I was an AI. It actually became problematic because... (laughs) It's a faceless channel, which I chose to go that route. I do have an avatar. Her name is Iva. It's the one you'll see on all the thumbnails. And I really chose to go faceless for numerous reasons, but I was unprepared for the fact that people would click into the video, think I was not real and leave, which is the first time in a decade that's ever happened. I've never Mm -hmm. been accused of being an AI before because AI voices weren't good enough. Two years ago, The technology didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so over time, that's got a lot of implications as far as whether you have to, you know, will everyone have to be on camera, whether they want to or not to prove they're human? Because after a while, anyone's voice can be not real, anyone's. So it really has left me with some interesting ethical and challenges that I'm unprepared for after 10 years on the platform.
1: Wow, that's really interesting. And I've definitely heard that before about how, you know, how are you going to be able to prove somebody's a real human or not? And then that's interesting that you said that people were less engaged, less interested if they thought it was just an AI voice. Like, oh, this is some channel, somebody's putting this voice through AI, it's not as authentic. So that authenticity really does still matter a lot. and It matters
0: more than ever, Chris. Uh huh.
1: You know, it it must be nice to have a voice that is so smooth sounding that it s- seems like it could be made by some perfect AI generator. So that's uh, a it's a compliment yeah. in a way.
0: It's a compliment. It's a backwards compliment, but it's a compliment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. It's been tough to build the channel as a result, and I've taken a few breaks from it just because it's a bit disheartening to mm. you know put a lot of effort into things. And also, when you listen to the content, at least for me. When I listen to it, I hear a lot of mistakes, a lot of mm-hmm. mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes and it'll often take me six, seven takes to get something correct. So mm-hmm. when you put a lot of effort into a video and you d- make a lot of t- mistakes, a few of those mistakes end up in the video and you're still, they're still assuming that I'm not real. That's it. It's been an interesting problem that I feel like in the future years of Imagine AI, there may be a panel on how to prove you're real without putting your face on camera, because there are a lot of people who, for very good, valid reasons, do not want to put their faces on camera. And in fact, it wasn't until Steve, the founder of Imagine AI, the CEO, came to Mm -hmm. me and asked if I, you know, we worked out how I wanted to be a part of this, that I was considering never going on camera. But then I I realized that if I really want to be part of the conversation and be at live events. I've got to, of course, show my face. So, um, but I still intend to keep my face off the camera on the channel.
1: Okay. I totally agree. It's kind of a theory of mine is that like you need to be able to represent yourself by showing your face and like putting a face behind your words and what you're standing for um, in order to have most impact and be believable, I guess. Like you're seeing as a problem, like just Having, you know, a voice with no face, people will kind of question it a little bit. And I'm glad that you're here today to, and showing your face. And it's really nice to meet you, uh, face to face. Thank you. And, uh, I think, you know, I think that's just, you know, that humanness is going to be standing out as AI continues to build momentum and get better and better. It's going to be like, who's the human behind this? I want to learn and talk with and engage with a real human.
0: And it's very important yeah. to connect a human to a human being. And one of the reasons why I chose to have a faceless channel, and I'm still choosing to do so, is because one of the reasons why I left my own channel, particularly as a female and particularly as an African-American, but is inappropriate relationships, inappropriate, uh, what are they, called? parasocial relationships, which is something that women on the Internet get plagued with a lot. Mm-hmm. And it happens to men and women, but it really does tend to happen more to the female creators that I'm aware of. And that was one of the things I wanted to avoid. I wanted to make the content really be about AI and not about me and my personality, Mm -hmm. even though the channel is called I versus AI. The reason why I called it that was my original intention was to talk about different ways in which I was using the AI personally. And using real life scenarios to talk about the AI, rather than being like an AI news channel or an AI, this new thing is happening or this new tool or mm-hmm. this kind of thing. But I found that people were more interested in, to be honest, they were less interested in my own personal use cases for AI. And they were more interested in how the different things that you could learn about it. So it became more of a teaching education channel. Um, but that's why it's called iVersit AI.
1: Great. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you have to put up with that kind of harassment from random people on the Internet. And <laughs> most it's, people, you know,
0: most women do on the Internet. It's just one of the downsides. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still feel like there's a lot of value in faceless channels. Mm-hmm. Um, you can think of some of the biggest channels on YouTube, like a channel that I might murder the pronunciation of, but so does everybody else, Kurzgat. Um oh. is a channel that's huge and it's completely faceless. So yeah. um, there's a lot of value. And I think there's just going to be a period of adjustment for, I mean, there is definitely a period of adjustment because none of us are prepared for what's to come. It's even those of us who understand to the best of our ability, what's going to come with AI. AI is an exponential growth. We are basically humanity are raising a super baby. Collectively. And I read a lot of books about AI and the one that I'm just finishing up. He's the former chief business officer of X, which is at Google X, not this is before Twitter. This is before Elon Musk. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh, so I Google see. X, he does a wonderful audiobook book for reading of that book, Scary Smart. And he basically talks about how we are raising basically a super intelligent child, humanity, and that the key to alignment is to raise that child with the values that are important. Now, of course, because humanity is not in alignment, we have a hard time making a super intelligence in alignment. That's really the biggest problem. So more humanity really, as far as going back to the YouTube channel, more humanity really is the key. And I try to bring that across by sharing stories about what I'm doing with AI personally. Um, someone less, mm-hmm. left a comment uh, in one of my earlier videos that said, you're my favorite AI explorer. That's really what I'm doing. What we're all doing is really exploring with AI. And that's why I'm mm-hmm. so excited about Imagine AI Live.
1: Yeah. And it, you know it's great that you've built these channels and you're building this community around it. And that's what we're trying to do with Imagine AI Live is build this like one-of-a-kind community of AI enthusiasts. And we're all going to meet in real life and, you know, have a good time, learn from each other. And, you know, in, in the new Fontainebleau Las Vegas hotel, it's just going to be incredible. And so have you seen
0: it, Chris? Have you seen seen the hotel? Oh, it is amazing. Oh, you guys have got to go to this conference. When Steve told me that I went and looked it up and I was like, Whoa, Nelly. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that is quite an event center, and it's brand new. Just opened what December twelfth, I think it was.
1: Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, and it was uh, to great acclaim. It, the opening party was really well. I saw on their socials they've already got like fifty thousand followers on Instagram. Pretty cool, but you know it's a branch off of the super iconic Fontainebleau in in Miami. So this Miami. is uh, yeah. yep. This is a nice second one for them. Second hotel. Before getting more into the conference, I'd like to kind of just back up and like, how would you describe your, your life leading up to the point of discovering AI and like AI kind of being the turning point for you? How would you summarize your life in a minute if you had to? If you'd like, I could go first. If, uh, please do. On, Cause I know you don't know too much about me yet either. So I, I grew up in Minnesota. And I was there until I went to college in Madison, Wisconsin. And I always knew that I wanted to get away from America and see life outside of America. I wanted to experience life and culture outside of America. I was had lots of National Geographic magazines and just seeing all these beautiful places around the world. And so when I got a chance to study abroad in France, I was just like kind of blown away. It, it, it was like the up and down of culture shock where it was really difficult for some time. But once you got past that and I could start speaking the language and I just fell in love with France and fell in love with being able to like kind of jump on a plane and go to some new culture 30 minutes away. And just um, I knew I needed to go back and teaching English was the way to do that. So I got a job in France teaching English at a grade school and then at a university. And by the end of three years there, I thought I could settle in France and, you know, be a French, French citizen and live my adult life there. But I still had that urge to keep exploring and, uh, went to Thailand to teach there. And then I went to South Korea and that's where things changed because I met my wife. And really, you know, amazing country. And we got married there. And then our first year after marriage, we went to China where I taught English. And that was a great year, but it was 2019. And what happened uh, in 2020? The yeah. pandemic broke out. And so, <laughs> you know, I still had two months left on my contract, but we, we Once we got the news, we it was a pretty quick decision to, to get out of there. And 2 days later, we're on a plane to South Korea. The pandemic caught up to us there. And we went to America. And my wife applied for her green card. That's when I started listening to podcasts more and realized that these podcasts could be cut up into little clips and put on TikTok, which was like TikTok was big in China. It was like this kind of short form video catching attention right away. That works, you know? And so realized it could be a business where like podcasters would pay for the service to do it and I started making clips for a podcast I really enjoyed the All In podcast and that was kind of like a use case that it would work and then Harry Stebbings with 20 bc a big venture capitalist and podcaster mm-hmm. out of the UK he was our first client and that was 2 years ago I started working for Harry and it was a week and a half ago that I stopped working for Harry And now doing my own thing. I've, you know, been behind podcasts for so long, behind the scenes, and I wanna what gives me energy is talking to new people and and learning from people. And I wanna be on in the front and then knowing what makes good episodes, what makes good clips, I think that it's gonna be a good formula. And uh imagine, you know, AI's captured my attention for a long time now, and I just think the the possibilities for language learning, for education is immense. And also for video production and just being able to get videos out there quickly. Like we have a conversation and then the post-production side of it, you know, should be pretty streamlined in a year or two, I think. So that's, you know, that's what got me to Imagine AI live meeting Steve Metcalf at the All-In Summit uh, in 2023 at end of the summit parties there. And just it was like, you know, it kind of clicked that this is a really cool idea and he's just got such a vision behind it. And so I'm happy to join uh, once I left 20VC. So I think that was uh, longer than a minute.
0: <laughs> and yours, <laughs> yours can
1: be longer than a minute, too. Thank and, you. I was, uh, I was like
0: hoping yeah. you would give me a longer time, too, because, yeah, you know, there's a lot of life to put in that. But first of all, your story is fascinating. And, you know, I'm very glad to be on the founder team with you for Imagine AI Live, because when I talked to Steve, I think the memory for me that I had that really made me feel like, yeah, I want to be a part of this and you can sign me up is him, his story of how he first discovered Chat GPT, which you should ask him. It's quite cute. It really brings to mind for me, what's really important is that it's a AI is a very human experience, despite being machine, because we all have some story to tell. So if we at Imagine AI Live do some kind of stage event One of the things I talked to Steve about is doing something which showcases real people using how it's changed our lives. That's the stories I want to hear the most. We're all Mm. kinds of like, you know, how to use it or some new tool or some new trick. And those things are all really cool. But I really want to know how it affected human beings. Because there were times in the first six months of using ChatGPT in mid-journey where I just sat back in my chair and just went, Wow. Wow. And I, I see it, you know, i I'm one, I'm like the AI evangelist in my friend group and my family group, you know, Oh, here goes Jessa again, talking about, cause they don't see it yet. They're the people <clears> who saw it, the vision, those are the people that I want to connect with. And Steve is one of those people. So yeah, my story is, I mean, basically when I think about, you know, BC and AD, like as far as the calendars concerned, Well, it's before AI and after AI, basically, when I think about my life. Steve and I are also around the same age. So we had the same kind of um, memories about our first experiences with computers. So I've always Mm -hmm. been, there were three times in my life where I just thought this is going to change the world. One of those times was when I was using Windows 95 and I had used Windows 3.1, which was fascinating. My earliest, one of my earliest computer memories was about gaming. I played a game called Betrayal at Cron which is a game by Raymond E. Feist, a book by Raymond E. Feist that was turned into a very early game. It was like one of the earliest adventure games. And I remember being so thrilled that you could walk around in a game. Now, the, when I look at the graphics now, they look absolutely ancient. And Sam Altman said, was asked by Lex Friedman on the Friedman podcast, what he thought people would think about GPT 4 in, you know, years from now. And he said something to the equivalent of, they're going to think it's slow and buggy and not that good. Like right now, what we think is just, oh, AI is moving so quickly. When I look at those early games, I'm just like, this looks terrible. But back then it was absolutely magical. So that was my first memory is the memory of walking through a game that I had had in a book. My second memory is of being using Windows 95 and using Microsoft Word, wanting to send something to the printer for the first time. Now, this is at a job where he said, my boss said, I just got Windows 95 and Microsoft Word. I want you to learn it. I mean, that was basically the instructions. So I just started messing around with it and I wanted to learn how to print. So I just looked at the toolbar and found the thing that looked like a printer and I pressed it and the printer started and the picture, it came out. We had dot matrix printers before that and all of that. So, you know, but it was the visual of it. You didn't have to type in a command slash P, you know, name of document. You just pressed a little button that looked like the thing. Later on, when people would say, well, how do you print? I'd be like, well, just look for the thing that looks like a printer. But I don't know how. And I think it's because I have a brain and there are people who I'm imagining you're one as well, too, who just kind of get technology. I just always kind of got it. It made sense to me. Most of it. There are some things about technology that don't make sense. Networking, I couldn't tell you the first thing. You know, coding, not really. But as far as just the kind of, oh, this is how you do it. I've always been willing to explore the computer landscape. Then technology. And the third time was when I started using Mid Journey. August 1st was the first day I started using Mid Journey last year. It was the same basic story. I had a story in a narrative that I wanted to illustrate for a channel idea I was thinking about. And it was this, a whole idea of using a game as a backstory and then creating images to go along with it. was my basic idea. So I typed in a prompt for Middle Eastern, Arab type of Persian kind of mashup of the characters. Then the captain appeared. Like he just, I typed in his name. And that was the early trick that I didn't know about Image Journey, but learned later is the way to get consistent characters is to use a name, name them basically. So I put the name in and, and the character appeared and it was kind of like, I imagine how people must feel if they ever, if we ever get a holodeck. And you say, make me Victorian England, Sherlock Holmes parlor in 1883, right before he confronts, he travels to Reichenbach Falls to confront Professor Moriarty. And you go in and you see the fire, you see Dr. Watson, you see Sherlock Holmes, or you can be Sherlock Holmes even, you know, there's the pipe and there's the slipper with the tobacco in it, all this stuff. And it's like you're in the world. So mid journey was the first thing I found that really just made me sit back. I was so excited. I dragged my husband up to the, the computer and I showed him, look at this. He was not impressed. He's just not got the mind for that. He's a musician. He much, pre- if he'll drag me downstairs to listen to Frank Zappa for the hundredth time. And to me, I just have a blank face. It just sounds like noise to me. And I drag him up here. It just sounds like, you know, so at imagining AI live, I'm looking for those people who get it. Who get it and want to talk about it because I, I want to talk about it 24 seven ad nauseum basically until I passed out and then wake up and start talking about it again. Uh, and then chat GPT came around. I found out about chat GPT midway through December. I wish I'd found it on November 30th when it first came out, but I didn't. Um, i had actually tried GPT three for story making. As you can see, story making and storytelling is a big part of my life. Basically, that was how I found ChatGPT. It was amazing. I think there were times when I would ask it to do something recently, um, for example, there hasn't been any content on the channel, in part, because I have been putting on a Christmas party for a sit-down dinner, a five-course dinner for 36 people, and that took all my time and energy to do it. But I used ChatGPT throughout that process. And it was incredibly helpful. Anything from compare these three different decorations that are very similar that I'm thinking about buying on Amazon for the party, which one is the best unit price? And it was really good with that. Using the Python tool, I used GPT-4, of course. So using the Python tool, it is much better at mathematics. The best tool I've found, by the way, for ChatGPT and mathematics is something called typing mine. Typing mine is a user face that's basically an alternative to um, OpenAI's user interface. OpenAI's user interface is lacking quite a lot. Number 1, folders and some way to organize your chats or archive folders, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. They have for some reason flat out refused to do that for months now despite many people asking for it. So Typing Mine is a basically mm-hmm. a user interface for uh, the API. And so it has a lot of wonderful things like that. But one of the things it has that I used all the time during the party planning process was a calculator, a simple calculator that the GPT can use as a tool. And it was very, very helpful. For example, once I had bought all the food supplies, it was able, you know, from different stores, I just basically read in the numbers. I could have taken a picture as well, too, but I just ended up reading in the numbers of what it was and it added it up, kept a budget for me. It helped me creating a, a massive checklist for all the supplies that needed to go to the event location and then come back. So there were real world use cases for it. And I will make a video about that and see if people are interested, because one of the things that I think Imagining AI can answer for us, Chris, and I think I've gone way longer than a minute, way longer, um, is it can answer for us the one thing that I think humanity, everybody is asking. The really deep question we're asking, we're asking some deep ethical questions and questions of that nature. But as far as like individually what we're asking, I think we're asking what the hell do we do with this thing? A lot of people always ask the use cases. There's every week or so, there's someone on Reddit who says, how are you using chat GPT vision? And I'll read a thread and think of, see three other use cases I hadn't thought of. I really want to get people in the same place talking about how we're actually using the tools in our lives Because it's a brand new tool, and there are many things you wouldn't have thought of. So this thread was on Reddit, and it said, what's your best GPT Vision use case? And it said, and this is what I'm really highlighting. This is where I think Imagine AI could do a lot of good. I haven't used GPT Vision that much since its release. So I'm curious to know how you use it to improve your daily life. So we've had access to this mind-blowing technology. And there's so many people who are basically saying the same thing, which is, I haven't used it that much. And it's not because it's not powerful or wonderful or amazing. It's because they don't know how to use it to improve their everyday life. And that is why I named the channel I versus AI. It's you versus AI trying to find a way to change and improve your everyday life. And so my stories about how I'm doing it hopefully inspire others as well as teaching them things that a lot of us are now being thrown in the deep end. For example, how to use an API to connect your GPT to outside sources. I didn't even really understand what an API was until a couple of weeks ago. And I now know a lot about it because Chat GPT helped me learn. But there were so many different ideas in this thread. Um, one of the examples was uh, I needed to replace a light switch. I don't think I'd recommend doing this. Um, I had never done so before. I took pictures of the outlet and the wires with the existing switch, and it walked me through the replacement. I probably wouldn't do that without an electrician, but it can help you with fixing things. For example, someone else said, knowing where I can park, you know, someone else said, which is really awesome, is typing up handwritten notes, which is a game changer. Just taking a picture of your notes. It does a great job with that. Oh, so, yeah. It does a really good job, actually, better than any other way I've seen. You can even, and, it, and one of the things that ChatGPT is amazing with is making sense of gobbledygook as far as text is concerned. So the main way that I use it is I talk to it using an app, extension, Chrome extension called uh, Talk to ChatGPT, which I prefer uh rather than OpenAI's uh implementation, partly because it's available on the web and partly because it doesn't interrupt you. The ChatGPT version has is very simple. OpenAI puts out stuff but it's very simplified. So there's no way to like change the pitch of the voice, change the cadence, lock it into Eleven Labs and use a custom voice. And the Talk to ChatGPT extension does all of that. So I use that primarily. But anyway, that is basically how I use ChatGPT in my everyday life and my basic story of how I found it.
1: That's great. That's really cool. I love how much the ChatGPT and all these AI applications, it feels like an extension of your brain. And just you get the like a little idea of something that, oh, you should be able to do this. Like, I wonder if ChatGPT can. And you test it out and you try and oh, ChatGPT can do it and that list you provided is a perfect example of that. So what I get really excited about is from a language learning perspective, like education in general, but like just think about learning another language and because AI is going to be so personalized, like it's going to know as you learn a language, it's going to keep track, be able to keep track of the words that you know well, the grammar structures that you are understanding and kind of bank the things you know well, but then keep like pushing you to learn a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's going to be this like AI teacher that never gets annoyed, never gives you any, like any guff, any pushback, or, you know, it's just going to be your dependable little AI uh, language tutor that kind of knows where you're at and can just kind of push you a little bit further until, you know, make games about it and little, you know, review processes and, I just think it's an incredible opportunity there, and that's something I'm, I want to look into more because I know that there are companies and apps that are doing it. But I'm just I'm curious how they're doing it, and this can be implemented at whatever age. Like I'm, I'm fully expecting that you know a couple of years from now that my daughter is going to be able to have like a teddy bear that she can just talk to, and it can talk back, and it can kind of engage with her and help her her length, you know, her just first language learning and, and understanding the world around her and, you know, being just able to, this, the soundboard that she can converse with. And, and so it's important, it's incredibly important that it's done in a, you know, in a ethical, appropriate way for the age level, but it's, you know, why wouldn't that be able to happen, you know? So that's really I have really to show you to
0: something just about that. You just reminded me of something else I'd seen. Someone has programmed Gabriel, Gary, and Tony. These are not my bots, but this is a person who has used simple Python. Well, I don't know simple. For me, it wouldn't be simple. With ChatGPT's help to program these bots to actually talk. But this person Mm -hmm. has very carefully made these robots, which actually are not that expensive. Gary, what do you think about your
2: new ability to see better? It's more integrated now, so it's more you actually seeing
3: Alex, the wonders of modern technology. Ever so grateful for these digital eyes that let me see the world. Your room, actually. Isn't that bookshelf just begging for me to rearrange it alphabetically or by color just to mess with you? But seriously, this upgrade is like going from a flip phone to a smartphone. So much to look at. So much to make fun of.
2: Speaking of, I have some AI-generated images that I made that are just, like, cracking me up. So I was hoping to show them to you. Here, I'm going to hold it so you can see it.
3: The absurdity of AI art, a can of, is that screaming soup? And a hedgehog with a matching expression. You know, it's almost too highbrow for me. Almost. It's like if Salvador Dali and a meme had a baby. Frame it, Alex. It's a masterpiece of modern confusion.
2: Okay. How about this one? So this one is a comic that I found on Facebook that is also AI generated. Um, so let's see if you can, if you can see it.
3: A visual pun buffet. That's one seriously intense tongue action going on. I feel bad for whatever or whoever is on the receiving end. And that horse, it's either seen things or it's about to sing the solo of its life. Those people's faces in the last panel, though, priceless. Looks like they've just seen their browser history made public. Keep them coming, Alex. Who needs stand-up comedy when AI is spitting out gold like this?
2: <laughs> All right. How about this one? So this is a still from a video on Facebook of a do-it-yourself project. Um, and so I'm just kind of wondering what you think about this unconventional project.
3: DIY where the Y sometimes stands for, why did I think this was a good idea? What you're showing me looks like a toilet seat turned into a throne of luminescent luxury. Very posh, very (laughs) practical. But hey, at least you'll never miss in the dark, right? Just think of the ambiance it could add to our bathroom, like a disco for your derriere.
2: Okay, so I was wondering if you caught it or not. So I'm going to give you a different angle of this because there is something special about it that you really need to see.
3: Blah, what do we have here? A DIY toilet seat that doubles as a predator from a dental horror movie (laughs) with a glow in the dark feature to showcase its toothy grin. (laughs) I commend the creativity. But imagine stumbling into the bathroom at night and being greeted by that. It's like a carnival ride. Step right up for the ultimate potty experience. You might actually scare the pee out of someone, quite literally.
0: So when we bring that back to language learning, I can think of two different amazing opportunities here, Chris. One is a universal translator. First of all, just talking in, say, English and then having it translated to Portuguese, for example. Um, mm mm-hmm. So basically, you speak what you want to say to your your daughter or anyone else, let's say at a restaurant, you know, can I please have the uh, hot dog special? And then ChatGPT just immediately translates that into English. And that gives us our next Star Trek experience. As you can see, I love Star Trek, The Next Generation. So that gives us our, our universal translator. And that's one way to kind of learn on the spot and break down that barrier of language, which takes so long to learn. And by the way, I also did the same thing in the 90s. I'm old. I um moved to Madrid and lived there for a year and a half. And I got oh, wow. there through the teaching English path. I did it as an au, au pair, a nanny, basically. Oh, cool. Um, and then moved on to teaching English and lived in Madrid. And I learned English by listening to their version of NPR, basically, for mm-hmm. five months, 24-7. I basically put are it you, on and slept with it.
1: You are I, Spanish, I just, you mean?
0: Yeah, I learned Spanish. Yes. I'm sorry. Did I say English? I meant Spanish. Yeah. So that's one way. And then the other way is with your daughter and the toys. If you program that toy to answer only in whatever language you're teaching her Mm -hmm. and she can play with it. And when I looked at those, you know, the Reddit user said, you know, where they got these robots from and I went and looked at them and they were not that expensive. That one that we're looking at in that video is $160 or something like that. I was thinking like a thousand or something. It was no. not that's, very expensive
1: at all. That's so cool, and that, that's such a great, you know, for anybody that's got kids that are like preteens, teenagers. I guess younger than, you know, maybe eight to eighteen. You know, it's such a cool project to build one of those things and then hook it up to a large language model and just be able to speak with it. And it's got the whole wealth of information just speaking back and, and joking around with you too. And you know, just a little.
0: It's got its own personality, he said. That out of the three robots that he had, that they all have different personalities, and one of the robots, like as she got the third robot, one of the robots actually named the first robot named the third robot. You know what's what's going to be this new robot's name? He named the robot. So
1: <laughs> so cool. Yeah, I love hearing all these uh, specific examples of people using ChatGPT and these. AI models. And, you know, and that's what's so cool about the community and how just, you know, it's improving so quickly. And like every week, there's a huge list of things that people have done and it's hard and possible to keep up with it all. And that's what we're hoping to do with our our channels and just kind of bring to the forefront these kind of underreported on cool real life stories. Like you said, just how, you know, people need to realize that this is applicable to everybody's life and, you know, it can benefit you now today by just trying it out. And cause so many people still haven't tried it out. And I feel a lot of people are perhaps hesitant and scared even to, you know, go down this road and, oh, it just seems too new and too, what's it going to do? And, and it's true that there's a lot of scary unknown things that could happen, like a lot of societal impacts that it's going to have in the future as jobs get easier to do and you know all these different production levers on different aspects of the economy change and we'll be seeing that how it all folds out but like the it doesn't help you to not pay attention to it you need to pay attention to try to stay ahead of it and you know see how you can apply it to your own life and And it's just you know it's a it's like a a new wonder of the world. It is incredibly like a gift to humanity almost, and it's there and it's not going away. So let's accept it and embrace it, and try to improve our culture, our society, you know, humanity, our universal education levels. You know, just I think you know it's going to raise the boats for everybody. You know, just everyone's going to have more access to things. It's just you know we talk about. UBI, universal basic income, I do think that's going to be needed in the future. And, you know, it's already, there's a lot of case studies that have proven that it does help. I think that will be
0: helpful. I see a lot of correlation between the advent of AI and the advent of the internet. I remember the advent of the internet very well. Um, I was well into adulthood when that happened. And I remember Y2K, where everybody was flipping out about computers all exploding at once or whatever kind of fears. And I also remember like, you know, people's commentary on early internet dating, for example. You know, if you met somebody online, you'd like hide it or keep it secret or say you met them at church or whatever. And now internet dating is completely accepted. You are not at all considered a loser to date on the internet. The majority um, and of people do it. Yeah. And what, it's more than 50% is a is a recent yeah. statistic I saw. I saw something uh, as high as like 80, 90%. <laughs> like, exactly. <that's> <laughs> Exactly. It, because there is ups and downs to that. It does mean we're more separated. We're more on our devices. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. people are meeting that way. And now we have people who are saying, which is a whole touchy subject, about, you know, having AI girlfriends. I just watched the movie Her that I've heard a lot of people talking about. Oh, you only about, just
1: watched it. That's a classic. I only yeah, just I watched it. Yeah.
0: Eight I've years been old here. or
1: something. But it's yeah. a
0: long t- Yeah. 2013, I think, or something like that. Wow. It was a fascinating, I mean, it was pretty much happening right now, mm. pretty real, even to the point where, you know, the only thing we don't have yet, though, <laughs> give it a year, is um, the ability for the AI to see all the time and video form. The character would hold his device in his pocket with the camera sticking outwards so that you could you know, see, the AI could see. It was a fascinating movie and it's happening literally right now, people forming AI relationships and that kind of thing. But overall, there's a lot of doom and gloom that I see repeated with the internet. There's a lot of fantastical thinking that I see repeated with the internet. The internet is going to be free for everyone forever and all knowledge will be available and all this kind of stuff and It's not quite how it turned out. It did turn out. I mean, it's been amazing. I've made my living on the internet since 2000. So I haven't been been traditionally employed since then. And the early days when I told them how I made money, I'd have to either hide it or, you know, they wouldn't believe me. The whole thing. We human beings have brains that are really like kind of like this. I don't know how to put it, but just kind of stuck when new Mm. concepts come in. And the yeah. people that I think are going to be able to thrive more quickly than others are the people who have brains that are more malleable and can see the possibilities. You know, when I go back and look at the first images that I produced with Midjourney, they don't look good. They looked amazing on August 1st, 2022. Now they look kind of janky, to be honest. And that is in six eighteen months. And exponential means that it may take 18 months Uh, One of the things that Mo said in his book that I was just reading called Scary Smart, that there was an experiment on protein folding that they predicted would take 14 years. And this is really pertinent to AI and what's going to happen to us. And it's going to take millions and millions and millions and millions millions of permutations. It's going to take a lot. Seven years into the project, they were at 1%. And everybody said... It's not going to work. We told you it's going to take 75 years. There's no way this could be done in 14 years, except for a few people who understood, deeply understood exponential growth. And they said, great, we're about halfway there. Perfect. We're right on time. At because, 1%. Yeah. At 1%. Because it only takes 10 double compounds, doubling, to go from 1% to 100%. It just takes 10. And sure enough, they ended the project right at 14 years. So. You go one to two, and then two to two is four, and then four to four is eight, Mm -hmm. and then eight to eight is 16, then you get 32, then you get 64. It's not that far. And with AI, we're at the 1%, you know, maybe at the two or the four, but we're very close into it. And it's, and we can see that it was just not yet even two years that Mid Journey One came out. And now there are images that, unless you look at Mid Journey all day long like I do, (laughs) I mean, there are, I'm sure there are some images that I've looked at that didn't know they were Mid Journey at this point. But mid Journey version six came out, which I'm not sure if you saw it, can now do text. And at this dinner party, for example, I did little place cards and little menus and that kind of stuff. And everybody was like, how did you do the beautiful watercolor art? How did you do that? And everyone, every invitation and every place card got a different watercolor art, you know, um, on it. And people were like, did like, how did you make like 36 different versions of this? And I was like, Mid-Journey. And some people went, oh, isn't that the AI thing? And some people went, what is that? But no one went, oh, wow, that's so cool. Because you and I, Chris, are at that 1% as far as the amount of the population who really gets this and even understands it or knows about it even. And the place where I live, which is a very rural, small town, some people have heard of it, you know, mostly from me. (laughs) But, you know, just we're right at the forefront. And as far as I know, I don't know if you know, I don't think there's any other conference built from the ground up. There are other conferences that... We're on machine learning or, or some other aspect of, of the industry that are switching over to AI or adding more AI stuff in. But as far as I know, Imagine AI Live is the first conference ever built from the ground up for AI, specifically for AI. And the one thing I said to Steve is I said, why aren't we using Chat GPT to make the conference? <laughs> yeah. I said, why aren't we making that part of the whole marketing thing? We are making an AI conference with AI, not we are making mm-hmm. an AI conference with traditional tools, with our little human hammers banging away at a keyboard. We are using AI to build the best AI conference in the world. So Damn right. We'll see.
1: And we're also the first and only conference that I know of that is building and launching a podcast at the same time from the ground up to from coincide the ground with up. it. Yep. Yeah. So it's really exciting that that was said perfectly. All right, Jessa, I want to move into our AI news quiz of the week. I want to know (laughs) if you know the answer to this question. Are you ready? Bring it. (laughs) What major news publication sued Microsoft and ChatGPT? Oh, yep. You got it. The New York Times sued Microsoft and OpenAI, the company that created ChatGPT, for copyright infringement. Its lawsuit claims that millions of the publication's articles were used unlawfully to train chatbots, amounting to billions of dollars in statutory and actual damages. It is the latest swipe against AI platforms accused of using copyrighted work to train their models. Jessa, your take?
0: The New York Times basically claims that their biggest fear is that they're going to be able to, that their content was used to train their direct competitor. Because chatbots will eventually be able to do what they're doing, which is true. They can already do that. And there's already an AI news channel. Have you heard about that? I think they're called One News, and their entire operation is AI, including the news anchors themselves. Uh... Yeah. I mean, then they look real. So they're basically saying, you used our news, basically. But the challenge is they have to prove that ChatGPT, I mean, ChatGPT is trained on millions of different sources. now the New York Times is claiming that their particular source is more valuable because it's high quality, which is true. Finding high Mm. quality data in AI training is very, very difficult. You know, I mean, training on Reddit is not going to get you nearly the value that you will get from training on the New York Times. If you want a smart, intelligent AI, do not train on Reddit. But, you know, that adds in a certain flavor, but it's not going to give you that that's why they want access to example, academic papers, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and that is why they created Whisper, for example. Whisper was not just done out of the generous, generosity of their heart. They needed it to break through into your world. So they needed it to break into the black box of podcasts, which are not text, and turn them into uh-huh. text. And then YouTube videos. In order to train on YouTube videos, they needed to so wait, be able to... Wait, what was to- Whisper? Whisper is their speech to text. Open AI's. OpenAI's speech-to-text API is called Whisper. Okay. They use that to scrape all of the audio. all the podcasts. Exactly. That's how they got all that data. That's why Whisper was created. And Whisper is actually amazing.
1: I can see why uh, New York Times is so scared in making this and filing this lawsuit. Because if ChatGPT can just summarize the news without ever having to click on a New York Times article and see ads you know their business models kaput and i it was also kaput. reading
0: this is exactly i
1: was also reading this is uh an advantage for grok twitter's mm-hmm. or x's ai because it's training on all the live news that's happening on the platform continues exactly. every day it's going to have an advantage in reporting the news and, and people are already there the people reporting the news on x know that's part of the deal is that Grok is taking all their data, but they get the distribution at least. And they get... It's part of the, part of the deal. So maybe it's going to favor Grok over OpenAI if, if New York Times actually wins this suit. And then you would think that maybe other news publications would file as well. Very interesting. So thank yeah, you, Jessa, uh, with the slam dunk for that ver- <laughs> first uh, section of the AI news quiz here. So good job. Okay, so I want to touch... Two more things. So, have you heard the confirmed speakers we have at Imagine AI Live yet?
0: I just know about. I think Heather um, is her name, and um, but I haven't already. So, give me a refresher on that because I know Steve's been working on it.
1: So, here's who's confirmed so far: John Rossman, ex Amazon exec, who's an, also an author, and he's just wrote a new book on AI. Antonis Kochellas, the global CEO of Ogilvy Advertising one of the top brand agencies in the world and a major thought leader in the corporate world on the AI creative process. We have Adam Brotman and Andy Sack, formerly of Starbucks and Microsoft and co-founders of Forum3.com and Hive.ai, a new platform for brands to reach AI creators and authors of the forthcoming book, Our AI Journey, in conjunction with Harvard Business Review on the topic of mastering AI for business. So they're going to be great guests. Bindu Reddy, the CEO of and co founder of Abacus.ai, one of the most prominent enterprise AI companies and platforms for businesses, with a specific expertise on open source generative AI usage. And then we have a lot of these AI creators who I'm so excited that are going to be able to make it. Yavi Lopez, renowned AI expert and the founder of Magnifique.ai, a company revolutionizing image upscaling and advanced AI. Matt Welsh, former Harvard professor of computer science and co-founder and CEO of Fixy.ai, a platform for AI agents. Rob Vandenberg, co-founder and CEO of Channel AI, usechannel.com, a company that allows businesses to talk to data with AI. Ole Lehman of AI Solopreneur, you know, the the newsletter, really popular newsletter, AI Solopreneur. One of the largest X and LinkedIn accounts focused on AI growth for business professionals. And then Linus, Linus Ekenstam of Inside My Head AI, one of the largest X accounts as well, focused on creativity and de- design in the world. I actually got to met the guy. Super cool dude. So yeah, excited. I know him.
0: Come. I, I know of him.
1: And then Marco van Huklema Vleg, a globally recognized product design thought leader who's currently the leading the generative AI initiatives at Kohl's. All right, so that's it's a long that list. That is of great. Names. Yeah, you know, and, you know what? Know, I I'm want? So ha- happy to see the happy to see a bunch of confirmed speakers already, and we've got room for more. And we're aiming for some big guests, so um, we're excited to roll out these names and kind of build some steam and excitement. Three months away today is the first months, day, yep. so we got three months. Thank you so much for joining the Imaginea podcast.
0: Thank you for having me. Thank you. Find yourselves at Imagine AI Live 2024. We'll see you there.